broadcasting on the Drug Truth Network, this is Cultural Baggage. It's not only inhumane, it is really fundamentally un-American. My name is Dean Becker. I don't condone or encourage the use of any drugs, legal or illegal. I report the unvarnished truth about the pharmaceutical, banking, prison, and judicial nightmare that feeds on eternal drug war. Hello, my friends. Welcome to this edition of Cultural Baggage. I'm glad you're with us. Uh, I, I'm really excited about today's guest. He's uh, worked in the uh, for the service of his nation of Canada. I think probably the bulk of his life. And uh, I'll let you tell him. I'll let him tell you more about the work he's done. And I guess without too much further ado, I want to go ahead and, and bring on our guest for the evening, Canadian Senator Larry Campbell. Hello, Larry. Hi, Dean. How are you? I, I'm well, sir. Thank you for being with us. Uh, as I was telling our listeners, you've uh, spent your life in service to the nation of Canada. Please tell us about your uh, experience and, and the work you're doing today. Oh, well, I don't know uh, whether it's in the service of Canada. I, I started in 1969 in the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Um, I served on drug squad there. Uh, I left them in uh, 1981 and became the Vancouver coroner. In 1996, I became the chief coroner for the province of British Columbia. Um, in 2002, I ran for mayor of Vancouver and was elected. And uh, in 2005, I was uh, appointed to the Canadian Senate. Well, thank you for that. Now, uh, Senator uh, Campbell, the I, I guess what strikes me most on uh, what I've been able to observe from down here in Texas is that uh, you understand the problems of this drug war, and, and you're working to provide solutions that w that will benefit uh, your fellow man. T tell us a bit about, uh, if you will, the four pillars approach uh, that's I guess up for renewal, is it, uh, in uh, Vancouver, and uh, and how that's working out. Yeah, so the four the four pillars um, was started by my predecessor, and actually the reason I ran for mayor was that uh, his party was not going to uh, allow him to run again, and so I ran in his I ran in instead. The four pillars is a way of looking at um, uh, the uh, drug addiction from the point of view of how do we go about combating it. And the four pillars are in fact uh, law enforcement, so we we recognize that enforcement has to be a part of it. Um, harm reduction, uh, treatment, and prevention. And uh, the harm reduction end of it, uh, as a result of the work of uh, Philip Owen, my predecessor, and then uh, my counsel, uh, we opened up the first supervised injection site in uh, in North America here in Vancouver. Um, some of the uh, we initially started off because we had such a, a situation uh, of uh, of social discourse. We initially started off with enforcement, and um, we've since moved of uh, treatment uh, coming into place here. We, we can never seem to get enough of that. And I think probably the most important pillar is prevention. I'm actually going out and talking to people, uh, not just young people, but uh, all people, and explaining to them the pharmacological properties of drugs instead of just you know immediately saying that uh, these are terrible what are they what do they do what are the harms that can be caused uh, what are the benefits in some cases that can be realized well sir uh, there is uh, by my observation a relatively new uh, prime minister is at harper uh, what yes, do, that's correct uh, what do you see uh, under his uh, guidance in so far as drug policy up there 
um, Prime Minister Harper is uh, is a conservative. Um, he has in the past voiced concerns about the, uh, for instance, supervised injection site. Uh, but uh, we we have just finished uh, our third year will be in September, and we've pu we've published uh, numerous um, scientifically reviewed, peer reviewed studies uh, that show the benefits uh, that have have uh, come forth from this center, and so. I'm extremely hopeful that uh, uh, he's a reasonable man and he will take a look at this and uh, he will uh, allow us to continue. Well, sir, as I understand it, that that injection site is, is going to close or uh, it's up for renewal uh, September 12th. Uh, there, there's some, something like 480 plus uh, overdose that uh, because of that supervision and that medical support, there were no fatalities. Uh, though it had been a much different story had those overdoses occurred on the street. Uh, is that, it? Go ahead, sir. Yeah, that's correct. I, mean, I think I think we have to be clear. Um, and and, I, and I'm trying to, uh, as with everything, I'm trying to you know put it in perspective. Um, the overdose deaths or the overdoses that took place in the supervised injection site ranged from uh, what would be described as very minimal to thir certainly life threatening. And and while I don't think we can say that before 400 some odd people uh, that they're alive because of this, there is absolutely no question. And being a chief coroner, I think I can speak with some authority that this site has saved lives. And uh, the numbers we'll never really know because, of course, we have medical personnel there and, and people were given treatment and taken to hospital in some cases, so we'll never know. But we have 650 injections a day, 365 days of the year. So I, I don't think it, it requires a... Uh, a stretch to believe that, that we have saved lives. But as importantly, um, we've saved money. We've saved money in the healthcare system. Out of all of those injections, we only have to stop 10 people from getting uh, HIV. And we've broken even. And you can't tell, again, it, it's beyond logic to say that we haven't done that. Yes, sir. Okay, now, insofar as the success in, in uh, uh, there in Vancouver, I understand that uh, Victoria is seeking an injection site and, and perhaps Toronto as well. Uh, how do you feel uh, will that uh, come about? Well, Victoria certainly is seeking one and they're hoping to uh, piggyback on ours. Um, I went and spoke to the uh, council in Toronto uh, earlier on this year when they were thinking about the four pillars and I, I pointed out to them that you know it's important to get the four pillars in place. Um, a supervised injection site is just one form of harm reduction, so not to get hung up on that. That's the one that it seems like people get the most concerned about. And uh, so if they need it, then I think they'll look at it. But right now, I don't think they have the injection community that we have. Okay, okay. Um, how long have you been a senator, might I ask, sir? Uh, be a year next month. And, and have you had a chance to... Uh... Uh, speak with and uh, perhaps uh, discuss the future of um, uh, drug policy in Canada with uh, Senator Nolan. Yes, absolutely. He uh, sits just behind me in the Senate, and so uh, 
Senator Nolan and I have been involved for uh, quite a long time in this in these issues, uh, going to international conferences and uh, and uh, speaking together. So. Uh, yeah, I speak to him quite a bit. Now, uh, you mentioned international conferences. I, I heard a story from, uh, I think the gentleman's name is Maria Costa, talking about marijuana being every bit the threat of heroin and methamphetamine. Now, your your thoughts on that statement of his? Well, um, I, I had the opportunity uh, to listen to Mr. Costa speak. Uh, it would have been, I think, in 2000 and early 2003 it was just after he was appointed and uh, quite frankly i'm not very impressed with him he uh, at that time he was talking about putting uh, marijuana oil on pasta and uh, when questioned about it i think in fact what he was referring to was hemp oil which of course has nothing to do with cannabis sativa and uh his statements, uh, I just don't believe, are uh, are legitimate. I don't think he knows what he's talking about. But it doesn't surprise me because he's the U.S. choice uh, to sit on the United Nations uh, drug panel. Now, sir, I, I don't know how much interaction uh, you have or, or want uh, between your uh, cohorts in the U.S., U.S. senators or, or congressmen, and I don't know if you had a chance to listen. A couple of weeks back, the Hinchy-Rohrbacher Amendment was uh, brought forward in the House, and, and several of these congressmen got up and said marijuana is a gateway. It leads directly to heroin, etc., etc. I, I consider that to be... Archaic science or, or the observations. It's not archaic science. It's non-scientific. Period. And um, uh, actually, I have had uh, some uh, some uh, talks with different people. Uh, King County, uh, Seattle, the uh, King County Bar Association uh, are, are just an incredible group um, who are looking at all aspects of this and taking a realistic work, look at it. Um, Marijuana simply, there is no scientific proof that says it's a gateway drug or in fact that it's anything other uh, than a, uh, than certainly a uh, plant, uh, certainly one that uh, does cause euphoria. But other than that, there is not a whole lot, there is no scientific evidence about gateway drugs. Now, uh, here in the U.S., we've we've heard of the travails of the uh, BC3, uh, Mark Emery, Michelle, and Greg up there, I believe, and yeah. ha how the U.S. wants to extradite them to the United States for uh, sales of marijuana seeds. Uh, your thoughts on that, sir? Is there any, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, impetus to uh, defer that extradition? Well, I think it would probably be a lot easier to have them tried in Canada on, uh, on seeds. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm fairly uh, fairly positive if that happened, uh, the penalty would be uh, uh, fairly minor. I, I don't know if anybody's been charged with seeds, quite frankly, in Canada. Um, I, I, you know, it's I, it's one of, it's one of the difficulties that I always have with U.S. policy is that they take a, a you know a molehill and make it into a mountain. Um, I think that uh, Mr. Emery uh, is, uh, in many cases, uh, self-grandizing who he is and what he does. And the uh, U.S. authorities are just helping him at that, that he's the prince of pot. And uh, so uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, if they uh, actually extradite him. I'm not sure that that will happen. Well, I, I certainly have my fingers crossed that it does not. I, I think yeah. whatever crimes he's done certainly doesn't merit all this. Um, no. Uh, I, sir, I, I understand that uh, Canada's now thinking about uh, making 
a, the uh, Senate position on, on elected office. Uh, is, is that right, sir? That's correct, yes. Uh, and if, if so, uh, do, do you think you would consider running at that time? Uh, quite frankly, I don't think that uh, anything's going to change in the Senate. It's set up constitutionally from 1867, and uh, they would have to go to the Constitution and open it, and I don't think there's any uh, great uh, any great desire to do that. Well, so, uh, uh, wonderful. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Now, um, what do you recommend to our listeners? What is the best way that we could work? Uh, how should we involve ourselves to promote a better drug policy? Well, I think it's critical for everyone, parents in particular, to become educated and to, to actually go and get the proper information. Um, check the source, make sure that it's peer-reviewed, that it, uh, it's actually scientific, uh, and, and really learn about what's going on within, the, within this uh, field. Um, recognize that the United States has more people in jail than any other country in the world. Recognize that um, the majority of those people are minorities. Um, it it goes way beyond just not liking a drug. I think it it gets into societal uh, mores and 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 trying to change society. It it, it it's destructive. And uh, I think that you have to become educated on it, and you have to be able to speak uh, from knowledge, and that that's really important. And I think that's. One of the reasons why we see our children can, you know, I mean, they know what is going on. They, they have the Internet. They have friends. Um, they become educated on it. And uh, we need to recognize uh, that it's easier to stop somebody from becoming addicted than it is to cure them. In fact, I don't think you ever can cure them. I think that what you do is you uh, have them in remission. So education is absolutely critical. Okay, uh, once again, we are speaking with Canadian Senator Larry Campbell. Uh, Senator Campbell, I want to ask you, I admit I know very little about it. I know uh, almost as little here in the U.S. about political parties. But I uh, wanted to ask your opinion. Uh, as far as the future, uh, who might be the best friend of reform? Who the most capable in Canada? The Liberals, the NDP, the Conservatives, the Greens? Uh, what's the best uh, way to get drug reform there in Canada? Well, I can tell you that the conservatives are not would be at the bottom end of the scale. Okay. Um, I think that um, certainly the Liberal Party is the one, and, and you know, to be fair to your listeners, I I am sitting as a Liberal senator, although I never belonged to the party prior to my appointment. Um, I, the Liberals are the ones that uh, did give us uh, the go ahead for the supervised injection site, and they were the ones who were looking at uh, decriminalizing marijuana. Um, which uh, I quite frankly do not agree with. I believe you should legalize it, tax the hell out of it, and put the money into health care. But they, they are the ones that we're looking at, and the NDP seem to go along with that, too. I don't know. I'm not too sure about the Greens because we've never had one elected. Okay. Uh, uh, Senator Campbell, I, uh, we're about to wrap it up here, and I, I want to give you the opportunity to, uh, if you will, motivate our listeners. Most of them are in the choir, if you, if you follow what I'm saying, sir. Yeah. But I, I try to tell them that in their action, their words, their letters, their uh, involvement in the process can bring about the end of this uh, draconian prohibition uh, that much sooner. Please, sir, uh, if, if you will, motivate them for me. Well, I think that people have to realize that we live in a democracy, and uh, 
the, the votes, the feet on the ground are what politicians listen to. And, and so I think it's important that people get involved, have them involved in their, their own areas, their own ridings that we call in Canada, their districts, I guess, in the states. And let their politicians know that this is not an acceptable way of forming policy or having, in fact, there hasn't been a change in U.S. policy probably for a hundred years. And so we really need to, you need to get to your politicians. The only way to change it is going to be through rational, reasonable people talking to their politicians and saying, you know, there's a better way of, of treating this disease. This is an illness. This is not, is not a criminal offense. People should be getting treated not going to jail for it and uh, and that's what you have to do and you and you're in for a long haul believe me but at the end of the day it's it's one of those things that can literally change lives and keep people alive well very good uh senator larry campbell thank you for joining us here on the cultural okay. baggage show okay right. thank you bye-bye bye. it's time to play name that drug by its side effects According to the manufacturer, this product will give you healthy blood flow and circulation, enhanced physical performance, sexual stamina, firmer, fuller feeling erections, and wide-eyed female approval to swim naked in the community pool. Time's up. From Berkeley Premium Nutraceuticals, Insight for Love. All right. I hope you enjoy. I was laughing at that one. Okay. Um, next up, we're going to hear from Drug Truth Network reporter Terry Nelson. He spent 32 years as a servant to the uh, United States as a Customs Border and Air Interdiction Officer. He retired as a GS-14, the equivalent of a bird colonel. The 2006 United Nations Office of Drug Control reports that last year, the Colombian government launched the biggest eradication campaign in the country's history. And there's been a dramatic increase in cocaine seizures in Colombia, and a record number of cocaine processing laboratories have been destroyed. In recent years, more Colombian drug barons have been captured and extradited to the United States than ever before. Yet these measures have not curbed the number of hectares of coca currently under cultivation in Colombia. The availability of cocaine, its purity, and its street price have not significantly fallen in the main consuming cities of Europe and the United States. And the coca leaf is still being processed into cocaine paste as never before in Colombia. The only reasonable conclusion to be made from the 2006 UNIDOC report is that the United States drug policy in Colombia and to a lesser extent European Union policy is a failure and a waste of money. We often think of drugs as being a problem unique to the United States. While that may have been true once, it no longer is. The problem has become a global one. A recent report from the New Delhi, India, is that the consumption of cocaine in the city has shot up in the past two years. So far, cocaine use is similar to the early use in the United States. It's used by a limited segment of society that can afford it. The Delhi police are currently not targeting high-profile consumers. Instead, they are targeting the dealers. The Delhi Narcotics Unit is reportedly a non-sanctioned unit, but they are working on making it a sanctioned unit of approximately three times the size it is now. They currently are focusing on quantities of 100 grams or more. If this all sounds familiar, it's almost the exact copy of how it all started here in the United States almost 30 years ago. And if India hopes to control their drug problem, they will have to use a different approach than prohibition. The reality of it is that it's impossible to completely obliterate consumer demand for cocaine. And for this reason, and because of the failure of anti-drug policies in Colombia, 
the debate about legalization must begin in earnest and be seriously considered as an alternative solution to the war on drugs. Law enforcement against prohibition is comprised of current and former members of law enforcement who support drug regulation rather than prohibition. Elite believes that the U.S. war on drugs has been an absolute failure as drugs are more available, higher quality, and less expensive than when it all started. All it has succeeded in doing here is filling up our jails with nonviolent offenders. It's, a, it's sad to see India making the same mistakes that we make. Educate and inform yourselves. Ask tough questions of elected officials. It's time for a change. Together, let's find a solution for our future. This is Terry Nelson on behalf of LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, at www.leap.cc, signing off. And now, for another black perspective on the drug war. Drug war is racism. Slavery, Jim Crow, drug war, it's all just racism, pure and simple. Drug laws are based on the racist premise that drugs are bad for the, quote, inferior races, unquote who do not have the moral force to resist temptation. A century ago, it was Asians smoking opium in dark dens who were vilified as seducers of white women. Strict laws against smoking opium were enacted, though whites were still able to drink opium as laudanum. Revolution in Mexico back in 1910 resulted in large numbers of Mexican peasants emigrating to America. They worked hard in low-paying agricultural jobs and smoked marijuana to relax. It was much cheaper than cerveza and tequila. And they were tolerated until the Dust Bowl and Great Depression displaced millions of white workers. Suddenly, the Mexicans were in the way. Police officers in Texas claimed that marijuana incited violent crimes, aroused a lust for blood, and gave its users superhuman strength. Though totally absurd, such claims were used as an excuse to arrest and deport Mexicans by the thousands and to jail and imprison thousands of others. Today, the issue is cocaine and the laws that punish black cocaine users more severely than whites. It's not science. It's not medicine. And it's not public safety. It's racism. Bare, ugly racism. And only you can end it. For the Drug Truth Network, this is Phil Jackson. Poppygate, bizarre news about the U.S. policy on controlling heroin, featuring Glenn Greenway. Britain's Daily Mail commented this week that, quote, the principal achievement of Western intervention in Afghanistan has been to create the world's leading narco state, end quote. Since so-called American liberation, Afghan heroin production has gone from zero to 92% of world supply in just four years flat. Along with sky-high opium yields, the country is suffering from a wave of violence unprecedented since the American invasion. More than 700 Afghanis and coalition forces have died in military operations there since mid-May. Additionally, Human Rights Watch reports that in Afghanistan, the rate of attacks on teachers, students, and schools has risen sharply in the last six months. Such attacks occur on an average of about once a day and include a school principal decapitated in front of his students. 
U.S. Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld said this week that proceeds from Afghanistan's rampant narcotics trade were fueling the extremists now attacking the schools and called upon European leaders to, quote, provide a master overall plan, end quote, to fight the American Afghan heroin monopoly he himself helped establish. This is Glenn Greenway reporting for the Drug Truth Network. But what about the children? Experts are concerned about the alcohol industry targeting minors who cannot legally drink, and for good reason. For example, a study in the Journal of the American Medical Association concluded that even after controlling for demographics like income, sex, race, even frequency of publication, etc., beer and distilled liquor advertisements tend to appear more frequently in magazines with a higher adolescent readership. There are also several lawsuits alleging industry targeting of children. A skeptical person might ask why they would do that. The answer is simple, money. New research by the National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse, or CASA, estimates that the alcohol industry makes $22.5 billion a year from sale of alcohol to minors. That's 17.5% of the industry's total annual sales. This is a serious concern to many of us because research does show that, statistically at least, people who start drinking at a very early age are more likely to become alcohol dependent later in life. This provides an important lesson for drug policy reformers. Most people realize that prohibition is a bad idea, yet the majority do not yet favor legalization, even of marijuana, as an option, because alcohol and tobacco marketing have left bitter tastes in the mouths of the public. They fear the specter of an enlarged social drug industry pandering to young people and creating more alcohol and other drug problems. We have to speak to and resolve those legitimate concerns if we're ever to see legalization. For the Drug Truth Network, this is Doug McVeigh, editor of DrugWarFacts.org. President George Bush, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Many famous Americans, including prominent conservatives, have used marijuana. None were arrested and all have lived successful lives. President Bill Clinton. Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger. Is it fair to arrest three-quarters of a million people Governor a year for doing what presidents and a Supreme Court justice have done? Visit the Marijuana Policy Project Foundation, www.joinmpp.org, or call toll-free 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Corruption charges. Corruption? Corruption is government intrusion into market efficiencies in the form of regulation. That's Milton Friedman. He got a goddamn Nobel Prize. We have laws against it precisely so we can get away with it. Corruption is our protection. Corruption keeps us safe and warm. Corruption is why you and I are prancing around in here instead of fighting over scraps of meat out in the street. Corruption is why we win. Corruption is what makes the drug war what it is. Fear and hypocrisy are what make the drug war what it is. I'm asking you to stand up against this corruption and uh, help us to end this madness of drug war. Uh, you guys are the solution. I said it. I was talking about it with uh, Congressman Campbell. You are the solution. This drug war will end that much sooner once you decide uh, its time is up. I would urge you to uh, pick up a pen. Write that 50-word letter, send it to your congressman, send a copy to your local paper, and be ready to talk about that truth, because it's all around us. It's all over the Internet. It's everywhere, and uh, it's really up to us to help 
bring it to an end. You can uh, join up with uh, numerous drug reform organizations. They're all ready to put you to work, take your funds, or however you want to support them. And you can learn more about them by visiting our website, which is endprohibition.org. It's, it's a signpost. There's nothing there but links to these other organizations. And I urge you to visit there and to uh, show your support for the... Uh, you know, the need for change. Again, it is endprohibition.org. You are the solution. I'm waiting on you. You know, I, I can uh, flap my gums all day long and, and uh, stand up and, and uh, criticize and complain to these politicians, and they'll all just say, thank you, Mr. Becker. You know, if, uh, looks like we're about to wrap it up for the day, but I urge you to be involved and do what's right. Okay, we're playing this song in honor of uh, Mr. Uh, Sid Barrett. He died recently from Pink Floyd. And we're playing one of my favorite songs from my favorite band. This is Gunner's Dream. This is Dean Becker, along with our engineer, Philip Guffey, for the Unvarnished Truth and the Cultural Baggage Show, and reminding you once again that because of prohibition, you don't know what's in that bag. And please, be careful. This drug war ends when you want it to be over. Please do your part. This show produced at Houston's Pacifica station, KPF, KPFT Houston. Please take heed of the dream.